Welcome to day three of Healthcare Plan 2, Repeal and Revenge. <laughs> this time, it's Republican. Yes. Yes, it is. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM People Powered Radio in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast at 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI News Radio. Uh, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on the Green Renaissance Network, 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, 102.9 FM. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR Public Reality Radio. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us again today. Uh, well, the uh, Republican Party is so very, very proud of uh, Trump care or Ryan care or... Uh, I guess as the right wing uh, in Congress, which opposes it, is calling it Obamacare 2.0 or Obamacare light. They are so proud of it that they have passed it through a congressional committee uh, last night or this morning at, uh, let's see, 4.30 a.m. 4.30 a.m. this morning. It uh, got through the Ways and Means Committee. It has since gotten through another committee. Uh, and all of that before anybody actually knows how much any of it will cost, uh, how many people will be left uninsured. All of that. It's still a mystery. And the Republicans are just, yes, ramming it through Congress. Exactly what they accused Democrats of doing back in 2010 when Democrats didn't do that at all. To yeah, be I was going to say, I'm so old. I remember when they complained about and, Democrats yeah. doing and that. And the Democrats weren't doing that. I got some details on that uh, coming up in a bit. Also, as um, <laughs> as uh, GOP leadership and Donald Trump, yes, are ramming through that uh, health care overhaul. Uh, details of Donald Trump's radical proposal for slashing funding to virtually every federal agency those plans continue to leak out. Well, I should say every federal agency except for the military. And I guess I should say uh, every federal agency except for the military, except for the Coast Guard, which, <laughs> uh, you know, I guess that ain't the military anymore. Somebody should tell Trump and the Trump administration that the, that Coast, Guard the is, Coast Guard is technically part of the military. Not just technically. <laughs> actually <laughs> part of the military. Stephen Colbert talked about it uh, last night. When it comes to cutbacks, the Coast Guard would bear the brunt 
seeing its budget cut by $1.3 billion. The Coast Guard? Who does Trump think protects the waters around Mar-a-Lago? Laser-sighted manatees? <laughs> yeah. Maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, nonetheless, uh, so he's going to add uh, fifty-four billion uh, to the uh, to the military, but everyone else, and not including the Coast Guard, everyone else gets a cut. Uh, but while slashing funds for domestic programs that millions of Americans count on to, you know, stay alive and stuff in many cases. Um, it's far from clear whether these uh, whether these cuts will actually go through. We'll speak with Alice Olstein of Talking Points Memo up on Capitol Hill shortly. She reports that there are already signs of revolt emerging concerning the budget uh, against uh, Trump's budget proposal. She cites th- uh, five things to watch for in that upcoming battle, including the possibility of, yes, another government shutdown. Oh, goody. Yes, I know. So the Republicans are in charge of everything, and they're still talking about shutting down the government. We'll speak with Alice Olstein shortly on that. But uh, related to all of this, AP uh, is reporting this week that as millions of Americans file their income tax returns, their chances of getting audited by the IRS have rarely been so low. Now, that might be uh, good news for some people, that they're less likely to get audited than ever before. It's certainly good news for wealthy people, because uh, far and away, the highest number of audits are to uh, people who are wealthier. The wealthier you are, the the greater your chances of, of actually getting audited. But... Those chances continue to fall precipitously. The number of people audited by the IRS in 2016 dropped for the sixth straight year to just over one million Americans. The last time uh, so few people were audited was back in 2004. And since then, the U.S. has added about 30 million people. And yet we're still down to 2004 levels as far as the number of people who are getting audited. The IRS blames budget cuts uh, as money for the agency shrunk from uh, $12.2 billion back in 2010 to $11.2 billion last year. And over that period, the agency has lost more than 17,000 employees, including uh, nearly 7,000 enforcement agents, you know, the ones who actually do the audits, the ones who actually make sure the money comes into the government. Which pays for all the services that we all use, like the roads, the bridges, the military. Yeah, Uh, IRS Commissioner John Koskinen said that uh, budget cuts are now costing the federal government between four billion and eight billion a year in uncollected taxes. He says we are the only agency that if you give us more people and more money, we give you more money back. In 2016, the number of people who were audited by the IRS dropped 16 percent from just the year before. Just 0.7 percent of individuals were actually audited either in person or by mail. That's the lowest rate since 2003. Corporate audits especially, uh, those are down 17 percent since the previous year. Just 0.49 percent. This is amazing. Just 0.49 percent. Less than half of 1% of corporations were audited. That is the lowest rate in at least a decade. Republicans in Congress began cutting money at the IRS after they took control of both the House and the Senate. 
back in the uh, in the 2010 elections. Yes, as we always like to say, elections do have consequences and they have been cutting ever since. Democrats argue that it, this is a costly move. Yes, it is. Um, this is uh, Richard Neal of Massachusetts, the top Democrat on the uh, on the House Ways and Means Committee, the, uh, who, who writes uh, tax uh, policy there. Uh, he says, you know, when somebody doesn't pay, that means that others pay more. But I think there's no question that the majority uh, Republicans here and apparently the president, they have had a target on the IRS. And they have. And it's somewhat ironic or hypocritical, whatever you want to call it. These people call themselves conservative. And yet when it comes to, you know, dealing with taxes and the tax base and what people owe and enforcing the law, these people apparently are not conservative at all. They don't give a damn at all if these, uh, you know, the, the, the tax laws are enforced, even though it would bring in more money so they wouldn't have to, you know, raise taxes to pay for stuff. Like they hate doing. Tony Reardon, president of the National Treasury Employees Union, uh, which represents IRS workers, questioned Trump's proposal to increase military spending uh, by billions of dollars while the GOP targets the IRS. He says the IRS collects 93 percent of our nation's revenue. You can't increase defense spending and cut IRS funding at the same time. It does not add up, says Reardon. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, uh, during his confirmation hearing a month or two ago, um, he offered the IRS a bone. He, he acknowledged that adding agents would, in fact, increase tax revenue. The department oversees the Treasury Department oversees the IRS and Mnuchin was appointed by Trump. He said, I can assure you. That the president-elect, this was before he was sworn in, the president-elect understands the concept of where we add people and we make money, Mnuchin uh, said at that hearing. Uh, he said he'll get that completely. That's a very quick conversation with Donald Trump. Well, apparently it's not such a quick conversation with Donald Trump or Steve Mnuchin hasn't had that conversation. I doubt that he really will ever. Uh, yeah, I, well, not apparently uh, according to his proposals, uh, to his uh, budget proposals that have leaked out. Right now, the White House uh, will propose a 14.1% cut to the IRS, despite Mnuchin's comments uh, acknowledging that this will, in fact, cost the government money. Citing tax experts, the New York Times reported last week that another round of cuts to the IRS could put one of the few federal departments that pays for itself onto life support. Dennis J. Ventry, a member of the IRS Advisory Council and a law professor at the University of California in Davis, said this is an agency that has had every last dropped, drop already squeezed out of it. He said, I don't know how it's going to sustain itself. The White House Budget Office uh, has proposed this 14 percent cut for the fiscal year that begins in October. That would reduce the agency's budget to uh, 9.6 billion. Six years ago, it stood at 12 billion or 
$13.6 billion when adjusted for inflation. If approved, the cuts would happen when the number of audits is down and customer service complaints are up as a result in the drop, uh, as a result of the drop in funding. So you see how this works. They keep cutting and cutting and cutting these federal agencies, and then they say people hate these federal agencies uh, because they can't get service from them uh, because they've cut their budgets. Lately, they've been uh, comparing the uh, the EPA. I think it was is Scott Pruitt. I think yeah, Scott Pruitt was at CPAC. Uh, he's the the new uh, head of the EPA. He hates the EPA, of course. Uh, he's been comparing the EPA. People hate the EPA like they hate the IRS. I think is what he said. Yeah, it turns out that if you hire people who hate the government and think government can't work, can't work, that they'll make it so that the government can't work. They'll make it so the government can't work and they'll keep continuing the cycle by continuing to cut it, to continuing to make it worse and worse. Criminal investigations related to uh, to tax related identity theft, money laundering, public corruption, cybercrime and terrorist financing also are all on the decline. And IRS officials cite budget constraints as the uh, as the reason. Well, that'll make uh, identity thieves and money launderers and public uh, uh, corruption folks and cyber criminals and terrorists. That should make them very happy. Thank you, Republicans. Good work. There is the issue of unpaid taxes as well. This is an enormous cost to American uh, to America's finances. New York Times reports that the federal budget deficit. All right, get these numbers. The federal the deficit in uh, in fiscal 2016 was 587 billion dollars, but the tax gap, which is the gulf between taxes owed versus taxes actually paid, that averaged 458 billion. Uh, from uh, from 2008 to 2010. So the the, the deficit 587 billion. What we could be collecting in taxes, what we should be collecting in taxes, 458 billion. That's according to an analysis conducted by the IRS last year. Collecting even half of that sum, uh, the Times reports, could make up a significant chunk of government budgets shortfall without increasing taxes or cutting spending. That would make Republicans happy because they don't have to increase taxes. Uh, that would make uh, Republicans even happier. Well, no, they like cutting spending, uh, but it would make Democrats happier because they wouldn't have to cut spending. But God forbid we should do this. Let's just make the problem worse. Handicapping the agency with additional budget cuts will make matters even worse. In fact, according to experts, the IRS taxpayers, uh, taxpayer advocates' uh, most recent annual report to Congress detailed how stretched the agency has become, citing the closing of dozens of walk-in assistance centers, longer waits to speak to customer service. Back in 2004, a taxpayer with a problem could speak to someone in less than three minutes. Which is kind of amazing to me because I've had to call the IRS in, in recent years and I can tell you my wait was a lot longer than three minutes. Last year, uh, according to this report, it took nearly 20 minutes to navigate the maze of automation and hold times in order to reach an actual person. Koskin and John Koskin and the head of the IRS has argued forcefully that those who would cut the IRS budget in the name of fiscal conservatism misunderstood the agency's value. Do they misunderstand it or do they not want to understand <laughs> yeah. it? 
Uh, at hearings around Washington, he regularly reminds uh, members of Congress that every dollar of investment in the IRS yields $4 in revenue. One dollar spent on the IRS, you get four dollars back. And yet Donald Trump and the Republicans continue to want to cut the IRS. Lawrence Gibbs, former uh, IRS commissioner, uh, told the New York Times that the confluence of a 14 percent reduction on top of a string of reductions uh, over the last eight years with a promise of major tax reform later this year, as the Republicans are promising. He's, he calls that a recipe for disaster at the country's most significant revenue-producing agency. You start to think that uh, disaster is exactly what these people are interested in, to be frank. Uh, Kevin Drum over at Mother Jones uh, says, This is all easily explained. First, Republicans routinely try to cut the IRS budget as a favor to the rich who dislike being audited. And second, Trump's budget, like his tweets, is a showpiece for his fans. He says it's not a serious document. He says Congress, and I'm not sure Kevin Drum is right about this, he says Congress is going to ignore Trump's budget, and he knows it. However, he wants credit for having the guts to shake things up and propose big cuts. This will impress his base, which naively assumes that things like official budget documents are very serious stuff. What's more, years from now, when we're running monster deficits thanks to Trump's tax cuts, he'll be able to say that he tried to cut the budget, but he couldn't get the pathetic lifers in Congress to go along with it. Now, in case uh, I bring this up uh, because it has to do with what we're going to talk to uh, uh, with Alice in a moment, but there is a lot of stuff going on. There's been this... uh, this uh, a tweet sort of going around over the past few days. Uh, I'm not sure actually who started it, uh, but it says in case anyone got overly sidetracked by the uh, so-called Russian spy drama, the following bills have been introduced in Congress and it is only March. Uh, A bill to terminate the Environmental Protection Agency entirely. A bill to, uh, uh, to create vouchers. For public education, a bill to terminate the Department of Education entirely, a bill to repeal the rule protecting wildlife. Oh, Desi, I know you're very happy about all of these uh, all of these bills, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) A bill bill to, um, of course, to the one to repeal the Affordable Care Act. We all know about that Um, A bill to defund Planned Parenthood, which is also included in the bill to repeal the Affordable Care Act. A bill for a national right to work, so-called right to work, a right to work for less. This one would end unions, public unions, essentially, or at least kill them. Uh, The House has a bill to mobilize against sanctuary cities to criminalize uh, to criminalize abortion. That's called the Prenatal Non-Discrimination Act. Uh, Another bill for sanctions against Iran. Uh, The American Sovereignty Restoration Act of 2017. That would repeal the United Nations Participation Act of 1945. Uh, Essentially, it would pull us out of the uh, the U.N. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot to pay attention to uh, with all of the other uh, noise and sturm and drong that's out there. But whether all of these things can get through, obviously a lot lot of those things that are proposed by Republicans uh, in the House are never going to go anywhere. A lot of the cuts uh, that uh, that Donald Trump is talking about 
are not going to be implemented. Maybe if the Demo- if the Republicans can stand up against a Republican president. Last week, was this only last week? I think it was uh, only last week uh, during Donald Trump's address to the uh, joint session of Congress. He said this. My administration wants to work with members of both parties to invest in women's health and to promote clean air and clean water and to rebuild our military and our infrastructure. Yes, yes, we can do absolutely everything. Uh, CNN uh, reports that uh, Republicans are usually ones to cheer federal funding, of course, but they have become so troubled about particular programs that are on the chopping block by Donald Trump that they're already speaking out against some of those uh, policies. Congressman Mike Simpson, Republican from Idaho, told reporters that he's concerned that the plan to cut a full quarter of the EPA's budget would have a devastating impact on the ground. Desi Doyen, that's a Republican saying, wait a minute, wait, 25 percent cut at the EPA. That's some good news. That's got to cheer you up. That's one guy. (laughs) You're right. That's one guy. He said uh, much of what the EPA does is state and local grants for clean water and clear air and that kind of stuff. He said, he said, I don't know that you want to cut that. Think again, Congressman. Uh, Simpson said many of his Republican colleagues, even those remaining silent for the time being, will stand up against the cuts when it comes time to debate uh, and to vote on the budget. Uh, He says there is more to our government than just defense. Congress will make their voice known on this. He promises the middle of the road people want to see government work. Now, there is a potential uh, silver lining in here for this. Uh, some things that Pruitt has, Scott Pruitt, the EPA administrator, has said in a couple of interviews. He said that, you know, don't worry about the state grants. We'll try to preserve the state mm-hmm. grants. And there have been some folks that have presented this as an idea of, oh, Pruitt then gets to play the hero. He gets to go up against Trump yeah. and say, oh, we're not going to cut that much. Don't worry. These favored programs, you know, I will save them for you. And we're already seeing that. He's uh, recently met with uh, mayors uh, around the country. So it makes him look good. Talking, right, talking about this uh, brownfields, the the funding for these industrial uh, cleanup sites and And so forth. And Superfund and all those things that the states actually do need the federal government's help on. And he says, oh, I'm going to give that to you. Don't worry about that. I'm worried about industrial cleanup. And so all the mayors go, this is great. We're very happy with this. We're okay with all this. But so the question is, uh, you know, do Republicans really want to see government work despite what uh, Simpson says? I don't know if they do. And if they do, will they be successful against, uh, you know, some in, for example, the hard right Freedom Caucus who just want to cut everything, cut cut the IRS, kill the IRS, despite the fact that that's actually where we get our money. So will they be successful? These so-called middle of the road people? Uh, that Simpson cites, uh, I don't know, against the hard, against the Freedom Caucus, against the Trump machine, and of course against these so-called conservative pressure groups. We'll take a quick break and we'll we'll go to Capitol Hill, where uh, Alice Alstein has a few points to watch for in these upcoming b- budget battles on Capitol Hill where we could see some hot GOP on GOP action. I'm just saying. Uh, as uh, the right configures that, uh, continues to figure out exactly how conservative they actually wish to pretend to be. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away.
Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. There may be no stopping them now, um, but maybe they will. We'll find out. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, okay, so we've been talking about Donald Trump's proposed budget, uh, including his massive proposed $54 billion increase in defense spending for the already largest and most powerful military in the history of civilization. Uh, to pay for that massive increase, however, uh, Trump is, uh, you know, still pretending to be a conservative here. So he's proposing equally massive cuts across domestic spending programs, such as slashing the Environmental Protection Agency budget by tens of thousands of jobs and 25 percent uh, cut in funding overall, not to mention cuts to the State Department budget, to the IRS budget, the Coast Guard I guess they're not considered military anymore uh, and other agencies. Now, while Trump's budget plan has not yet been formally released, pieces of it have begun to leak out via memos obtained by AP, Washington Post and other news organizations. Over at Talking Points Memo, however, reporter Alice Olstein writes that even though Republicans now control the White House and both chambers of Congress, that doesn't mean they will have an easy time agreeing on and implementing a plan to fund the government going forward. Olstein reports that there are already signs of revolt emerging on Capitol Hill and top budget experts warn of an array of legal and political obstacles standing in Trump's way in the days ahead. Oh, he's not going to like that. Of course, uh, we're already seeing uh, the difficulty that Republicans are facing among their own caucus and supporters with their long-promised repeal and replace plan to overturn the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare and replace it with, well, with something. Olstein at TPM goes on to cite five points to keep in mind as the budget battle begins to unfold on Capitol Hill. Joining us now from Capitol Hill, inside the nation's capital today, I think, in fact, is Alice Olstein. She's a reporter at Talking Points Memo. She's uh, covering national politics and has been reporting in D.C. Uh, on the Supreme Court, on Congress and national elections since 2010. Uh, and yet this is somehow her first appearance on the broadcast. Welcome, Alice Olstein. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you joining us. And by the way, uh, since this, this is the first time we've had you on the show, uh, just a quick thanks 
for your fantastic coverage of election and voting issues last year in the run-up to the election. We leaned on your coverage quite a bit on this show, and I greatly appreciate uh, your emphasis on the on the right to vote uh, last year with the widespread voter suppression, restrictions on early voting, photo ID laws, etc. So thank you for that, Alice. Of course, it's a really important issue, and it's not going away, so everybody should definitely stay tuned. Yes, uh, unfortunately, it's not going away. All right, I want to run through your uh, your piece, uh, five points on why Trump's budget plan might be in bigger trouble than you think. Um, uh, but let me... Uh, this. Let me start here. This wouldn't be Dems uh, uh, causing these problems, right? In other words, this article sort of presumes that the Democrats, uh, the opposition in both the House and Senate, is going to stay largely unified. So it's uh, Dems are not going to help Republicans as you see it on these things. Is that is that a safe assumption? We're talking about uh, GOP on GOP violence here in this article, essentially? Yes, definitely. Uh, of course, the Democrats don't really have much power these days on Capitol Hill, but besides that, they are very united in opposition to almost anything President Trump is pushing forward, and that is true for this budget as well. And so the GOP can only afford to lose a handful of Republicans because of that. Yeah, well, in in both the House, but particularly in the Senate, uh, Mm -hmm. which uh, brings us to your first point. Uh, You say we could be headed, even under Donald Trump, we could be headed for another government shutdown. Uh, And again, I I presume this would not be Democrats causing it, but Republicans actually bucking their own White House and congressional leadership to shut down the government? Really? Is that a possibility? I think we should we could really see some brinkmanship when we get up to the point of considering bills to lift the debt ceiling and to continue funding the government, which could be as soon as April. So that is a very popular and common way to get things passed that are very difficult to get passed because people don't like them and don't want to vote for them. But if you attach it to the bill to keep the government open, then the person that doesn't vote for it takes in, you know, depending on who you ask, mm-hmm. takes the blame for shutting down the government. And we saw that just a few years ago with devastating consequences. So in order to pass the budget that President Trump has proposed or will soon propose in more detail, mm-hmm. um, Congress would have to vote to lift the spending caps that Congress itself imposed just a few years ago. Because you can't do you can't legally do what president trump wants to do which is just raise military spending and cut everything else you have to raise the caps on both unless he goes for one of the budget gimmicks i outline in my article which would be very legally and politically questionable and let's get to that uh, in a in a second here but just to be clear when you talk about raising the caps this is going back to the was it the 2011 uh, government yes. shutdown when they imposed the so-called sequester and that required right. limits on both domestic uh, f- funding and mm-hmm. on military funding supposedly to keep both republicans and uh, to to even it out for republicans and and Democrats, right? And right. Y- your suggestion here is, oh, it's uh, he wants uh, Trump wants to raise that uh, the military spending by uh, fifty four, whatever it is, fifty four billion. billion. But but that is unlawful under the uh, under the sequester under the spending caps. He would also have to similarly raise uh, funding for domestic spending unless. Th- 
something happened? Is that, do I understand? Right. The entire premise of the Budget Control Act was to cap both, which was equally odious to both parties, Mm -hmm. and thus the only way they could come together and agree on it to reopen the government and move forward. So they had to basically pass a new law that says, never mind that last one, we can go ahead and raise uh, military but not raise uh, domestic spending, I guess, is what they would have to do. Or you suggest, and this is your number two item, uh, uh, Trump's uh, other options involve breaking the law. Not my President Trump, Alice Oldstein. Well, there's a couple things that we could see happen, and I talked to a bunch of budget experts who used to work for Congress, and they outlined some of these possibilities. One of them would be tucking the massive increase in military spending into the Overseas Contingency Operations Fund, which is just supposed to be for overseas wars. And if the money is not then used for actual overseas wars, then that would be a violation, at least of the spirit of the law. So they're talking about basically playing with the books, uh, or at least this option would be playing with the books. We, we want to increase, but we can't change the, uh, the, the sequester laws, so we're just going right. to add this to this alternate set of books. So we actually keep an alternate set of books uh, for the Iraq and, and Afghanistan wars and other overseas right. incursions, correct? Yes, those are not subject to the sequester. So all the money that we currently spend uh, on our what we consider to be our military budget, that's separate from all of that spending that we uh, that we now put into all of our foreign wars. There, There is a separate fund for overseas wars, correct. That is separate from the capped Pentagon budget. Okay, so you suggest that if you put that money, by the way, into uh, somehow used it uh, in that other fund, uh, and if it was not lawful, uh, even if it wasn't lawful, who would do anything about it? Do you have any idea who would enforce something like that? It is like not that? clear. And the fact that he, he, the administration might be able to get away with it is a reason to keep an eye on any use of that option. I'll say. All right. Many of the uh, cuts to d- domestic spending, uh, uh, to, to domestic programs, you uh, note, are actually very popular with Republicans. That's your uh, your third point here. And the, a lot of Republicans may want to actually protect these programs so they could block uh, some of these proposed uh, cuts themselves. Republicans could. Yes, I'm hearing a lot of opposition from Republican lawmakers, especially to the cuts to the State Department. A lot of Mm. um, Republicans are coming out and saying that we do not support cutting the State Department's budget by a third because diplomacy keeps us safe, and it's very important for our standing in the world, and to cut it would put us in danger, would erode our relationships with other countries, and would make us eventually have to spend more on war. Is that what they're talking about? One third cut to the defense yes. uh, to the uh, State Department? Yes, that's incredible. So no wonder we saw uh, Defense Secretary uh, General Mattis uh, come out against those cuts, as I recall. And of course, it wasn't one of the problems uh, that they cite with uh, Benghazi uh, the lack of uh, funding that the State Department placed into. Uh, into consulates and so forth around the world. Wouldn't that money? Wouldn't that be money that they're talking about cutting from the State Department? Yes, although I will point out that that wouldn't be the first time that the same Republicans who have been uh, beating their chests about Benghazi have also voted to cut uh, diplomatic funding. 
Well, that's true. Uh, and I guess the same Republicans who were very worried about Benghazi don't seem to have noticed whatever happened in Yemen. There's also this across the board. You, you cite uh, uh, Alice Olstein that we'd have to cut about 10 percent across every single uh, federal program and agency in order to match that 54 billion that he wants to spend uh, on on military. So cuts to NASA, Small Business Administration, Amtrak, uh, Head Start, Pell Grants. Those are things that would actually hurt a lot of people in a lot of, uh, let's call them red, congressional districts, no? Yes, and I think that knowing that there would be a big backlash is why some Republicans are already speaking out against the president's budget, even though we haven't seen the details yet, which is a pretty incredible thing because the president has shown himself very willing to go after anyone who mm-hmm. uh, you know, speaks up against him and criticizes him. You also uh, note that this would uh, not just it would not just be about spending cuts, but it would actually hurt the economy. A lot of these cuts, Um, Alice, in your experience on Capitol Hill there, uh, do these so-called conservatives actually really care about hurting the economy, at least more than, you know, being able to say, hey, we cut spending. Look at all the the government, the wasteful government programs. We whether they're wasteful or not, never mind. But, hey, we cut spending, uh, even if that hurts the economy. What's what's more important uh, to those uh, people who call themselves conservative out there? Do they ultimately care if these cuts actually hurt their own constituents? I can only tell you what they tell me. I, I can't read their minds, right. but there, a lot of members say they are very concerned about the level of spending now and the deficit that the country finds itself in. Now, many of their proposals would increase that deficit, including their plan on repealing the Affordable Care Act. We don't yet know by how much because they're moving forward with a markup without waiting for Mm -hmm. the Congressional Budget Office to reveal what the impact on the deficit would be. But several analyses of past versions of this have said that it would massively increase the deficit. So they say that they are fiscal hawks and don't ever want to increase the deficit and want to bring it down, yet sometimes they vote for policies that would do the opposite. Sometimes. Yeah, Uh, I would say a lot of times, actually. And we'll get to that in a moment with the Ronald Reagan point. But uh, two more. One more here. First, uh, you write that it's impossible to analyze the budget while we're still in the dark on taxes, on infrastructure and yes, on health care. So this is a big one. Uh, Republicans have vowed uh, massive tax reform. Uh, Trump, at least uh, Trump himself, is is promising one trillion dollars in new infrastructure spending. Much of that, uh, however, could come from private uh, private public partnerships. Uh, and of course, uh, the, the replacement plan for for Obamacare, all of which means these, these will have huge effects on the federal budget. How can they even discuss any of that until those three huge programs are, uh, are out of the way, are figured out? Well, as I lay out in my piece, it's almost impossible to tell what this budget would do or how much money the government even has to work with and spend without knowing how, what the tax plan reform is, what the health care reform is, what the infrastructure plan is. Now, at least on health care, there is a bill. We can all read it. It might not pass. We don't know. Right. (laughs) But 
at least we can look at that because that is going to have a massive impact on how much money the government has to spend. We have not seen the infrastructure plan and we have not seen the tax reform plan. I guess that would be the hugest one because if they're going to massively cut taxes for corporations and wealthy individuals, then that will drastically reduce the amount of money the government has to work with. And I don't know when we're going to see that. I know we are going to see a budget in just a couple of weeks. Which is kind of amazing, although, uh, Alice, it seems like it, it suggests that they aren't really, I don't know, what's the sense you get? I, I, that they're not, I, my sense is they're not really going to pass a new budget anytime soon because of all of those other things, uh, that instead we'll be looking at either, you know, a, a series of continuing resolutions, as we have seen in the past, where they basically just, you know, repeat the funding, and then they do... Uh, piecemeal budgets here and there rather than an actual big budget like they've been, you know, complaining and, and calling for for so many years. Right. Well, what the president is going to send over to Congress in a couple of weeks is just a budget blueprint, and then it will be up to Congress to turn that into an actual bill. So we're still a few steps away from seeing any actual legislation. And like you said, it could come in a piecemeal series, or it could come in one big giant omnibus that is pushed forward with lots of interesting things hidden away inside mm -hmm. the hundreds of pages. Uh, yeah, well, they, we know they don't like uh, bills with too many pages. That's, that's impossible. They would never pass one of those. Uh, all right, your last point here on uh, why Trump's budget plan may be in bigger trouble than you think. The ghost of Ronald Reagan. I love that. Uh, Alice, uh, what what does that mean? What is the ghost of uh, Ronald Reagan? And does it still haunt these people on Capitol Hill? Well, that idea came out of discussions I had with all of these budget experts who used to work for Congress. And they all said without prompting that the closest historical analog we have to President Trump's plan is President Reagan's first budget, which also massively hiked military spending paid for by massive cuts to everything else, basically. And we can look to history to see what resulted from that. And what resulted were a lot of bad results. Uh, the deficit went way up. Government spending actually climbed, even though the intent was to cut it. The number of federal workers went up, just in, even though the intent was to reduce that. Mm -hmm. Federal programs that were shut down had to be reopened because they were necessary. And the number of people living in poverty went way up. And so to deal with the fallout from this budget that did pass back in the 80s, Reagan had to sign four tax increases to make up the difference and get some of that federal money back. So we'll see if this Trump plan that is sort of a Reagan 2.0 goes right. forward, and we'll see if the same negative impacts that happened before happen again. Would President Trump be willing to take the steps that President Reagan did to contain the damage. And that's, I think, the difference, because you had, at least in Ronald Reagan, no matter what you think of him, no matter what you think of his policies, he surrounded himself with people who actually understood government. Uh, to a certain extent, he understood it himself, uh, you know, as a former governor of California. And it seemed like he was at least honest enough to say, hey, these programs aren't working. I've cut two, uh, taxes too far. Uh, we need to make adjustments. Do you have any sense that Donald Trump, I mean, we, we've never seen him say anything. Oh, I was wrong about this. Let me adjust this that way. 
I can't even imagine such a thing, Alice, that uh, Donald Trump would reverse course and admit he got something wrong. Well, we don't really see him reverse course and admit he got something wrong, but we have seen him sort of concede under pressure and under legal challenges. I mean, look at how different the second new travel ban is from the first one. He included a whole country he didn't include before. He include, um, mm-hmm. is now going to allow green card holders to enter the country. So those are major concessions. He didn't come out and say, I was wrong, I admit it, but he made those concessions in the text of the executive order. I think he's also shown himself to be incredibly ideologically flexible. He used to be pro-choice, and now he is uh, anti-choice, anti-abortion. Um, that's just one of many, many issues that he's, he's uh, changed mm-hmm. on over the years. And so I think that, you know, while it might not be an outright, as outright a flip as, you know, we mm-hmm. would look for, I think that he has shown his mind can be changed or he can be pressured to roll back on something. For instance, whatever happened to the giant investigation into voter fraud that was promised, Oh, that's Have you coming. heard anything about that recently? Uh, I haven't. Uh, no, I, that, that's coming. That's uh, Mike Pence is on that. He'll get he'll get to that right after they. Uh, yeah, I believe it uh, when I see it. <laughs> exactly. No, right. Yeah. Right after they uh, uh, arrest all those people in Indiana that I don't know if you remember that story, Alice, right before yes. the election. There, there's a huge investigation of voter. We're finding massive voter fraud in Indiana. That kind of went away right after the election in Indiana, even though Mike Pence was promising that was coming soon. Right. So I think, you know, we didn't see Pence or President Trump come out and say we were wrong. There is no widespread voter fraud, but they are sort of silently saying that by not announcing that they have found any and not really doing anything about it. Yes, don't notice it. I'm sorry you even brought it up, Alice. Last question before I let you go here today. Uh, We're seeing a lot of pushback, obviously, from Democrats against the uh, newly proposed uh, Republican plan to repeal and replace health care, but also a lot from Republicans. Are you uh, seeing and hearing now uh, more pushback from Democrats or Republicans? against this uh, this House plan from Paul Ryan? Well, numbers-wise, it's definitely more Democrats. But in terms of influence, mm-hmm. it's the Republicans. I mean, uh, the Democrats can all vote against it. But really, we are seeing this conservative revolt in the House. I came from a press conference where the House Freedom Caucus, which comprises mm-hmm. several dozen members, have voted, uh, I mean, have decided that they will oppose this bill. They say that it's not enough of a repeal, a complete repeal of Obamacare. They're mad that this House plan keeps the Medicaid expansion. They're mad that it keeps the Cadillac tax and other provisions in Obamacare. And they say nothing short of a complete full repeal they will accept and vote for. So they they are all saying that, you know, they're going to negotiate and this is a work in progress and the bill is not the final bill, but we will see. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you believe them or are they just trying to get more, uh, you know, get more out of it? I, I think they'll fold. They've folded before uh, versus four more years of, uh, you know, Obamacare without the changes they've been promising for 10 years. I'm I'm dubious about that pushback. Um but we'll see, I suppose. We will see what happens. Alice Olstein reporting uh, at uh, TalkingPointsMemo.com from Capitol Hill. You can follow her uh, on the Twitters at Alice Olstein. Uh, really great to have you on the show, Alice. I hope you don't mind if we uh, harass you again to join us in the near future. Sure, anytime. Thanks, Alice.
All right. Speaking of uh, speaking of the uh, plan to repeal and replace Obamacare, we've got uh, some late updates on that. We'll take a quick break and we'll get right to that. Uh, and some thoughts, uh, hopefully, from uh, a listener about this whole battle over Trump care, Ryan care, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, we mentioned at the top of the show that the uh, GOP is so terribly proud of their effort to uh, repeal and replace Obamacare. Uh, that they uh, the House Ways and Means Committee uh, last night, this morning, 4.30 a.m., before anybody actually knows how much this bill is actually going to cost, how many people will lose their insurance because of it, uh, the House Ways and Means Committee uh, passed this bill, uh, passed it out of committee. Two key House committees have now approved uh, the Republican proposal to revise the Affordable Care Act, giving the bill its first victories amid a backlash that both Republican leaders and President Trump are trying to tamp down, the Washington Post reports. The House Ways and Means Committee voted 23 to 16 to advance the American Health Care Act shortly before 4.30 a.m. On, uh, on Thursday after about 18 hours of debate. They debated all night long. The House Energy and Commerce Committee voted 31 to 23 to advance the bill at uh, 1.45 this afternoon after about 27 hours of debate. Real Donald Trump on the Twitter's uh, tweets today, despite what you hear in the press, health care is coming along great. <laughs> you don't you don't don't laugh at that. Deb. It's coming along great. We are talking to many groups and it will end in a beautiful picture, he says. Um, now, uh, so if you consider, uh, you know, eight to 15 million currently covered Americans losing their health care coverage to be beautiful, uh, maybe Donald Trump is telling the truth. So they may get it through the House. This was introduced uh, late on Monday, and it was already uh, brought to committee for markup on Wednesday. Uh, and now it's it's passed out of both of these committees in the U.S. House. So it, you know, it could get through the House if, uh, you know, they continue to press the uh, the Freedom Caucus in the House. And uh, the guys who are running this thing, Tom Price, the Health and Human Services Secretary, he was a Freedom Caucus guy. Uh, Mick Mulvaney, who's now in charge of the White House Office of Management and Budget, budget he was a House Freedom Caucus guy, and they are pressing their friends 
uh, to come around on this bill. But even if they can get it through the House, getting it through the Senate is another uh, question entirely. Senator Tom Cotton today, Republican um, senator from Arkansas, had a three-part tweet. He said, one, House health care bill can't pass Senate without major changes. To my friends in the House, pause, start over. Get it right. Don't get it fast, said Tom Cotton. He said the GOP shouldn't act like Dems did on Obamacare. No excuse to release the bill Monday night. Start voting Wednesday with no budget estimate. Because, yes, they, they haven't allowed the Congressional Budget Office to score this thing at all. And he adds, uh, what matters in long run is better, more affordable health care for Americans, not House leaders' arbitrary legislative calendar. Now, I, I, I got to respond to that one part. Good. I'm glad that uh, Tom Cotton is trying to slow things down here a little bit, trying to tell the uh, the leadership, Republican leadership to start over. But the idea that he says that uh, Republicans shouldn't act like Dems did on Obamacare, this this myth that they rushed it through, they yeah. jammed it through, they rammed it through. Um, the fact of the matter is Democrats held 78 hearings in uh, in the House, they heard from 181 witnesses. They allowed 121 amendments to the Obamacare, uh, the Affordable Care Act. A lot of them, by the way, from Republicans who ultimately did not vote for, uh, end up voting for it anyway. But they did succeed in weakening it significantly. Yes, they did. Uh, it was a 14-month process. If that's considered rushing uh, for the Affordable Care Act, well... What is uh, two and a half days or whatever it's been since they introduced this bill? Oh, you and your crazy math. Compare that to the uh, to the introduction of uh, the bill just, you know, Monday night before anyone had read it. I mean, at least with the Affordable Care Act, a lot of people had read it, had worked on it before it was introduced. This thing just came out of nowhere and then uh, goes th- right through committee markup hearings two days later, uh, passage through those uh, those uh, those two committees. After a single session in each of them, and by the way, Republicans did not accept a single amendment from the Democrats in that markup. Washington Post reports that criticism from uh, a powerful that there has been criticism from powerful health health care stakeholders like the American Medical Association, the American Hospital Association. Uh, AARP. We talked about those uh, yesterday on the broadcast, uh, all of which have rejected the bill in its current form. Also, the America's uh, America's health insurance plan. The insurance industry's largest trade association is now saying uh, that they they sent a letter on Wednesday to uh, to Congress saying that though they appreciated some of the elements of the plan, the proposed changes to Medicaid could produce unnecessary disruptions in the coverage and care that beneficiaries depend on. So now the insurers are against this as well. Andre Ostrovsky, the chief medical officer for Medicaid, this is a senior official actually within Medicaid itself, uh, came out against this plan. Uh, Ostrovsky, uh, he's the chief medical officer for the Center for Medicaid and CHIP Services. He uh, he tweeted, despite political messaging from others at Health and Human Services, I align with the experts from the American Academy of Family Physicians, from the American Academy of Pediatrics and American Medical Association. Now, Ostrovsky, he's an, uh, an Obama appointee. He took the role in September of 2016. 
Um, but he joins all of these associations representing hospitals, doctors, seniors, insurers, et cetera, who have criticized the bill this week. Um, wonder how long he'll be in that position, uh, to be frank. But as we were talking about this on yesterday's uh, uh, program, and if this thing could get pushed through, we, we took callers, and a lot of callers were, were you know, still talking about single-payer, Medicare yeah. for all, which, of course, uh, I would love to see. Uh, the path to that uh, single payer, however, is, uh, let's say it's somewhat murky at this point, to say the least. And yet I think it's important. And so I'm glad that people were calling in and talking about that. I think it's important to talk about it because ultimately, uh, well, you can't get to a policy if people don't understand it, if people don't know what it means, uh, if people don't know where we should be on health care. So, uh, so quick, quickly here, some email from Margot in Costa Rica. Uh, email to bradcast at bradblog.com. She writes, uh, Dear Brad and Desi. Oh, hey. She mentions you. Yay. Uh, I am a retiree living in Costa Rica. I saw the present political situation coming some years ago, and my husband and I relocated. He is Latino, although I am not, but we are very happy here in a small town called, I don't want to say the name. Uh, every month, I pay health care premium uh, premiums of about $40, which is a requirement for my residency. Although I'm quite a bit older than you, she says, I am in fairly good health, and I have uh, a bike to get around town. Not long ago, she says, I ditched the bike and had a fall. Very quickly, as I lie beside the sidewalk in a pretty confused state, my neighbors called an ambulance and called my husband, picked up the bike, and helped me sit up. The EMT guys didn't speak English, but we all got to the hospital in this town, which is about 20 minutes away. In the emergency room, I was seen by a doctor, got a shot for pain. They took two x-rays of my head and one of my knee. When this was done, I was ready to go home. I paid nothing. She says there isn't even a cashier in the emergency room. No one was paying for anything. My husband collected me, bumps and bruises, but nothing serious. We went home. The next day I woke up with a gorgeous black eye. She said I find that kind of disturbing because, of course, I uh, could have gotten a handlebar in my eye, but I am now just fine. She says this is what national health care or single payer is like when you live in a country that is used to it. Just FYI. Regards, I will be listening most nights. Margot, most nights. What the? Uh, Margot. <laughs> well, I'm glad Margot is go is fine and is in recovered. Costa Rica. Yeah, <laughs> yes. uh, and she points out the system in Costa Rica, and I just want to note, yeah, that's what it's like in much of the rest of the world. I recall being in uh, in, in London uh, some years ago, and I had to go to the emergency room for something, and they took care of me, and then I thought, okay, where do I go to pay? And everyone kind of laughed at me. <laughs> They did. There, there was nowhere to pay. Yeah. Uh, that's what single payer looks like. That's what we could uh, have. For those of you folks who, who don't get out much, who don't get out of the country uh, to know what the rest of the world looks like, uh, and you only hear folks on Fox News telling you how terrible health care is everywhere else in the world, ain't so, ain't true. Uh, thank you, Margo, for that email. You can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. You can find, follow me, and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and, of course, to my guest today, Alice Olstein of Talking Points Memo. Is that it? Oh, thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. 
to help us continue to do what we do over your public airwaves. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.